Dope. All right. Uh, cold open time. Phil, give us some of that goofy. So, as as Episcopalians, uh, I I want to reference Tears of the Kingdom because we're we're several weeks after um we're several weeks after Easter now, and uh you know the crucifixion is long behind us, liturgically speaking. But uh, so as you know, the new Legend of Zelda game has come out, <laughs> and do you guys know anything about Koroks? <laughs> do you know anything about uh, Koroks? I I don't know. I'm so so a... Koroks, so in Breath of the Wild, which this game is the sequel to, in Breath of the Wild, you basically, you expand your inventory slots by finding Korok seeds, which are littered all throughout the world. And mm-hmm. you're not supposed to get all of them. It is okay. it is very integral that I'm saying this to you, because Breath of you're the Wild is, is a... You're not supposed to get all of them. There okay. are, in Breath of the Wild, there are... 900 Korok seeds in the game. There are 900. Okay. And every time you upgrade your inventory, it costs more. Until you you eventually have them all used up. Right. I'm really interested to see how this connects to the Episcopal Church. They're sprinkled all the way... Yeah, well, it connects to the crucifixion. So, uh, they're sprinkled all throughout the map. They expand your inventory... And, uh, basically what happens is you have to find, you have to solve a little puzzle, which could be like moving a rock into a circle that completes the circle. And then a little, a Korok, which is like a little forest sprite pops up and is like, haha, you found me. Here's my Korok seed. And then you get one Korok seed. And then gotcha. if you do that, and then if you exchange all 900 of them, if you get 900 of them, cause you can, you can, if you want, get all 900 of them. What happens is you get shit. You literally, and I don't mean you get shit metaphorically speaking. What I'm saying is that the guy that you give them to gives you a piece of golden shit. And it looks like shit, and it is literally shit. You get shit. You get a piece of golden shit. You get golden shit, okay. You get golden shit. So, Koroks make a return in Tears of the Kingdom. And so hated are they. And so... In Tears of the Kingdom, there is uh, a lot of more so- sandbox mechanics. You can, like, fuse shit together and freeze it in place. Fucking, like, Gary's Mod style. So, the Koroks are so hated that people are, in Tears of the Kingdom, they're crucifying them. They are cru- they, they are creating giant, like, Roman fucking fields of, like, crucified <laughs> oh Koroks. <laughs> Just like they're just because they're everywhere. Wait, so are you? Are like, is this that serious right now? I I yes. literally don't oh, know no, if you're making real. this up or not. No, it's no, real. He's, he's not. He's not lying. I saw a tweet. <laughs> yeah, people are like, and it's not one person either. People are like crucifying them in mass and like torturing them in like completely different ways. They're they're like nail. Well, the, first off, the big one is that they're creating like crucifixion fields, literally like fucking like end of Evangelion <laughs> style. Just, like, you know, like, hundreds of them in, like, a sprawling, like, labyrinth that must have taken hours to put together just for the sake of, like, torturing Koroks, Man, a video game The determination, the determination get, of Caesar himself, I gotta say. That's right. I gotta get into Zelda now, I guess. That's what I've learned yeah, from this Zelda, conversation. Zelda's good. I like Zelda. I'm imagining a person who just gets this game just so they can participate in the crucifixions. That, yeah, I, yes, and that person that is named Josiah me. Sutton. Yes. Yeah. That person's name is Josiah or you, Sutton. Or you, or you, or you. Or, yeah, or Finch. Or Finch. 
or Finch Bird. <laughs> you, you <laughs> I assume who... that's your full name. Yeah. Finch Bird. You got it. <laughs> uh, I actually, I think Finch's full name is Finch Darwin. Uh, Finch <laughs> Darwin Galapagos. <laughs> you know who else? Uh, speaking of um, unsolicited murder. Um, who boy, do we have an episode for you today when it comes to. Why'd you say the... it like that? What? Unsolicited. Hit the, hit the music. Hit the music. <laughs> All right, that's right. We just played the music. Hi, uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Mammonberg, everybody. Uh, A podcast um, about, I don't know, I don't know what the fuck this podcast is about. We're back from a hiatus. Uh, We took a little bit of time off. I graduated community college. Yeah, two of our two of our hosts are you know college students, so finals was crazy. So we took some time away, but we're back, baby. We're back for summer. We're so back. Uh, mostly back. Jackal is not with us today, but um, I'm here. I'm Josiah, and I'm joined by two of my so, esteemed co-hosts here. I'm joined by Finch. Hello, everyone. It is That's I, Finch. Ryan Shaker, Finch, are we? <laughs> and uh, Phil. Hi, everybody. This, this is a call-out post for Jackal, the miserable, sleepy fuck. Can't even... <laughs> You know, he's traveling from, like, the Midwest to the to frickin', like, New York City, so he's just gonna be, like, you know, you know Mario. Phil, what? Phil, <laughs> you know how, how, you know, white people steal things from black people all the time? Oh, yeah, all the time. You steal Jackal's life force, I gotta say. Oh, my God. Doing this <laughs> is that why is that like people still think I look, like, 19 when I'm 25? <laughs> You do this, and I can just feel you absorbing his life force. I told one of my coworkers, I work at Starbucks now, which is a, a whole nother problem. But uh, I, I told one of my coworkers today, I like turned to them, and I was like, yeah, you know, my wife. And she was like, wait, 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 your wife? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like 25 years old. And then she's like, hold on, I thought you were like 19. And it, you know, oh, just, man. You do look is, like that. You do I, look I, like a high school kid. I, I do look like a goober. I'm very, like, I have a very, like, mushy, uh, like, teenager face, which does not age, <laughs> so. Yet. 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 When Yet. he starts working a de- desk job, it's all over, Josiah. That's true. It it fucks you up, bro. It's so it really Jover. Does. Once I it's get a so job over. in journalism and, like, my boss is like, hey, can you write that piece about, um... About how the immigrant children should starve. Uh, I just, I'm gonna instantly, I'm gonna have that like Indiana Jones bullshit where he drinks from the wrong cup and fucking I, turns to like dust. I'm gonna say, unless you get a job at Fox News, I don't think you're gonna be asked to write. That yeah, thank specific God. Article. I know. Instead, I'll be able. My 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 shit lib boss will walk up to me and just be like. Hey, could you write that piece about how um, Blank's new policies aren't actually that bad? And, you know, we all have a duty to pay back our student loans, you know, so it, it's okay that they're 
that they're gonna that they're gonna yeah, start that back I, up. I've again. been excited seeing some of your writing in the New York Times recently, like that one that was like, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Holmes is back and she's named Liz now. That was a Phil yeah, original. Oh, I yeah. that was solid. I that was good. I fucking um, hate that piece so much. <laughs> <laughs> you just you stop wearing a turtleneck and you're a completely different yep. person. Yep, yep. It's like that. That gets rid of the fraud. Um, yeah, that gets rid of the the, fra- the turtleneck was the fraud. It, it's Finch like it, when Steve Jobs wait, died, wait, wait, wait. the the turtleneck wait, 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 took on a life force of its own. Wait, 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 Phil, Finch, Phil, wait. Finch is the Elizabeth Holmes of Mammonburg. So true, King. So true. <laughs> I think so true. there's something here. I think there's she, there's she's a like, bit here that could happen. I mean, I have a, manipulated it, bef- you before, and I will do it again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. she she is harvesting the blood of all of uh, Mammonburg citizens for yep, some unspecified yep. project she w- she won't elaborate <laughs> on. That's not me. That's Jackal's girlfriend, Lady Demetrescu. Oh right, you know I I, I heard Jackal bought a bought a ladder to see her like in person. I wonder what the, the ladder is for. It's, I don't I don't. I'm very concerned. It's got like a, it's got mm. like pads, and like you can bolt it to the ground, and there's like a grip on there. I don't, I don't know what that's about. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Something, something about wow. that. Something, something about that. that. Yeah, what's mm. up with that? We have never well, let him live that, that down. We have never <laughs> let him live that down. I feel so bad. <laughs> Pulling us in here. So today we're talking, this is a topic after my own heart, since, uh, so I, I, I want to clarify a that topic I- topic after your own heart, Amanda. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate when people die. It's like one of my most definable traits. <laughs> that is true. That is a consistent mm. Phil, Phil is. Yeah, I, I would say that it makes me sad when innocent people Phil, die. Phil does not like it when people die. Um, Do you like it when people die, Josiah? It depends if they deserve it. In this case, he did not deserve it. Though let's let's move on. Uh, Phil, what were you saying? <laughs> so uh, tonight we're talking. We're we're starting off with a serious subject, and it's kind of an all around serious subject with some humorous notes. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. basically, we're we're going to talk about how there have been a lot of cases of kind of like individualized conservative vigilantism, and basically, I mean, this goes. We're gonna get into this later on in the episode. Find specific sources, but anywhere from like you know gun ownership, like basically people pr- protecting their personal property. There was that famous case of like that man who like killed a teenager who just came up to his door. Because I think yeah. he was like confused or asked for directions, and then like uh, you he know... didn't kill the teenager. The teenager did survive. Oh, but thank he God! He was okay. shot in the face, and he did have to go to the hospital, and it was a very traumatizing experience for him. Right. Wasn't there an equivalent case recently though, where someone did there die? There was. There was. See that um, I'm confusing so there was the a, two. So there was. I believe it was a uh, group that were driving to prom. I think it was like a boyfriend and girlfriend, two dates and I think two dates in the back and they pulled into the wrong uh, driveway mm. and some guy came out unprovoked totally just nothing and he uh, he had his gun and he shot at the car and the uh, boyfriend was wounded the girlfriend died yeah Shit. so that was yeah. that was the shooting so so that's and- kind of like the the undercurrent of of this kind of behavior 
we're going to be focusing on for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, there's there's plenty of cases of this. And then also it's it's kind of inseparable from like right wing politics as a whole, because like, you know, I mean, this this these are usually consistently right wing ordeals like, um, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse is like the obvious example that pops in my head when we talk oh, about yeah. this kind of thing. But then. Uh, you know, the more recent story that has been, you know, become kind of a big news story over the last couple of weeks, you know, is, is the one that uh, we, we missed because it was during our, our kind of break. Um, and I'm actually kind of glad, though, that we didn't cover it immediately and we got some time to, like, watch the story unfold more. Um, but it, it was the, the murder of Jordan Neely in New York. For those who did miss this story, um, the the fast fast version of it is on the uh, on a train in New York. Jordan Neely was a uh, a black homeless man who you know clearly had some mental illness of some sort, and um, he was being you know he was yelling on the train. Which I feel like if you've ever been in a major city before, you have had a situation like this before, right? Like this is pretty mm-hmm. normal. Um, to, to be around this and specifically Jordan Neely was screaming that he he was struggling financially with finding food and shelter and all that and that he uh, he didn't even care he wasn't even afraid to die anymore because of the situation he was in which is just like awful given yeah. the circumstances of like what would happen seconds later it is because yeah what what <laughs> what went on was uh marine uh daniel penny you know supposedly like he claims he was defending people on the bus uh, like on the train which i am very skeptical of because it doesn't seem like he actually did anything violent he just yelled but put the guy you know put jordan in a headlock and uh choked him to death for about 15 minutes while several at least one other maybe maybe more than that passengers held uh jordan neely down um and they killed him. And that that's going to be a big theme of the episode tonight is disproportionate, specifically disproportionate use of force. Where yeah. somebody somebody comes up and basically, I'm not going to spoil too much, but basically the conservatives have this drive to use disproportionate levels of force on the poor and the disenfranchised. Or mm-hmm. people they deem to be criminals, which usually the two are one in the same for conservatives. So I, I just kind of want to sprinkle yeah. that idea, you know, a little bit on the, you know. Yeah. Well, and, before yeah, going and, and, forward. And and I think like what's been depressing and, and again, kind of why I'm glad we waited on this subject for a few weeks is um, seeing that the story did just go away. It's kind of become a culture war thing like all these things do because I you know, in, in a truly just nauseating uh, move, the right-wing press has completely rallied behind this this Marine, um, ex-former Marine, whatever, uh, Daniel Penny, who, you know, murdered a homeless man. Um, and they, they pretty much just, you know, rallied around him as being a hero, standing up for the people on the train, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they are currently raising money. Uh, for his, um, you know, his his legal fees and stuff because he's getting charged with manslaughter, and they raised he raised uh, one point eight million dollars as of last Sunday night for murdering a man on a train. Jesus. Yeah. So cool country we live in. Um. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean that's that's the fast version of the story. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot more to it. The deeper you get, there's a lot to. Oh, and 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 part of this also comes out in classic. You always you always fucking see this. 
um, a, you know, a day after whatever, they find out that Jordan Neely has a like past, a criminal past of some sort. And so they immediately pull that up as see this Daniel Penny guy. He knew what he was doing. You know, he, he was stopping the bad guys, but he doesn't know that obviously. Right. He doesn't know that, you know, just from uh, meeting a guy for the first time and he's yelling on a train, you don't know that he is an actual threat or a dangerous person right, or but has that's a criminal just the, record or whatever. But that's just like the vigilante retributive. Oh, yeah. That basically makes up all of American justice. Exactly. They, they and, believe in punishing the bad guy, you know, no matter the petty crime. If you did something bad in the past, you deserve to die. You, you deserve to die. And specifically the... um. God, like, it's almost like a genetic attitude about criminality, too, because it's like, you know, oh, finding this criminal past is proof that, oh, yes, Jordan Neely was one of the bad ones, was one of the bad guys, you know, rather than was he doing something in the moment that reflected that proportionality? Well, here's another Um, running theme. That I'm gonna, yeah. we're gonna and see I was, a lot I was tonight. Gonna, no, I was gonna say, to, and that kind of moves us into what Phil kind of wanted to talk about because, yeah, um, this is a common theme in a lot of like vigilante kind of uh, media that surrounds it. Like, uh, I, I watched Dirty Harry today, um, you know, in reference to this this episode we were talking about, and like, yeah, it, you know, it's it's movies that are like about there's there's these scum on these streets, you know, there's these bad guys, and we need somebody to come and clean things up. It's not like oh, there's a reason that somebody might be doing something criminal or even are they doing anything criminal in the moment no it's a, it's a status of who they are you know they they are a criminal not somebody doing a crime but a criminal it's an identity you know yeah it's it, it not only isn't an identity but it's like an ontological identity like it, it's it's almost like it, it's yes. it's such a core part of your being that it's inseparable from your nature sure yeah but anyway so Basically, I want everybody... So, do you guys have the outline prop uh, pulled up mm-hmm. of the episode? So, I want you to click on the YouTube video there. Okay, hang on. All right. All right. Everybody at zero? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Now, just hit uh, hit play on the count of three. One, two, three. Three. much do I owe you? Oh, you looking at fuck you with the ice cream. Wow, that escalated. Oh my lord, it's the creep that stole my pocketbook three weeks ago. Alright, alright. Oh, and then everyone. Everyone's cheering. You could basically stop it there. 
so that's basically okay. where that clip is. Okay. So could, could you, um, real quick, before you do it, could you explain what just happened in this? Because most of that was um, not going to come through in audio format. So could you say yeah. quickly what happened? So, so basically, when you're watching the clip, so this is a clip from Death Wish 3. So and if anybody knows the Death... Because so Death Wish wasn't just one movie. It's a franchise, because of course it was. So mm-hmm. there are like four, four or five of these movies. The original Bronson films with actor Charles Bronson, who plays an architect named Paul. And we'll learn more about Paul in a second. But specifically in this clip, he has a Nikon camera on him. So like a running theme of Death Wish 3, and I have to corroborate this real quick, because I think he actually, Death Wish 3, I think is specifically, if I'm not mistaken, where he keeps, don't quote me on this, he keeps expensive objects on him specifically so that it goads out people to kill him. Yeah, he he tests the gun. So it says like in the description of what happens that he tests the gun when somebody steals his camera. But it also, you could see that the, the implication might be, because the camera's never like mentioned before that, that he is goading out a criminal to steal it for the express purpose of shooting him with a new gun that he just bought. Because that is a, a wildly a, a wildly hunting pistol, which mm-hmm. are extremely high caliber weapons. They're basically magnums, and they're, they have like such high caliber that they, as you can see. Now, obviously, that's a dramatized portrayal. So the Giggler, who is a, a local thief and perch snaster, who is wearing like a jean jacket, like stereotypical 1970s criminal clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's wearing like a bandana. He's got face I mean, paint on. He, I don't think you have to go up into the, the play by play. He basically basically what happens is he steals Bronson's camera, which is like a Nikon camera he has slung over his shoulder. And Bronson whips out this like fucking hunting pistol and just blows a hole in his spine. And this yeah. is in Death Wish 3. He just blows a hole in his spine. And instead of like everybody in the crowd who is like gathered around because of course there's like not only a crowd but like everybody in the neighborhood they they all celebrate the death of the 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 criminal the giggler who uh is called that because he giggles as he steals things from people how menacing um mm-hmm. yeah so like everybody on the street just like breaks out into applause the instant like the, yeah this, this random petty criminal has been blasted in that back of the you know like so very disproportionately for trying to steal a nikon camera (laughs) this is the founding ethos of the death wish fans franchise which death wish is a movie based on basically a crap pulp uh, fiction novel where paul who is he is an architect mind you this man begins the series as an architect and he loses his wife when her and her their daughter together are attacked by goons who mug and assault them, which basically, they, they mug them and then they assault them further when after mugging them, they find out that they only have $7 on them. So that that instead of them, like, ima- imagine this is you. Imagine you're trying to, like, get money from people. So when you find out that they have no money, you, you would probably just disengage or just take the $7 if you're that desperate. But mm-hmm. no... They double down and kick the shit out of a mother and daughter who are innocent.
person. And just, you know, the mother dies and the daughter is, like, scarred for life. Sure. And yeah. Bronson, who, uh, I'm gonna call him Bronson because he, he is less of a character and more of a symbol. Paul is not a character. Paul is, Paul is just, like, a vacuous <laughs> hole where conservative revenge politics go and he is inseparable from the actor Charles Bronson. So every right. time I say Bronson, I mean the two interchangeably. Mm. He basically gets his revenge in the first movie. The first movie ends his revenge. Like, he gets revenge on the people who beat up his wife. But he he eventually turns into a no-tolerance policy vigilante who just blows holes in people who are, like, mildly perturbing to him. Like, if that you commit, like... Any petty crime in his vis like vicinity, he will execute you. He will mm -hmm. just like whip out his completely comically oversized gun and just fuck you up for no reason. And this is this like I have to explain why this is so poor because this movie is like formative for many conservatives like view of the world. Like this is a conservative myth. This is their like founding mythology if you're a pseudo fascist authoritarian this is your like nightmare but also your dream society where somebody yes crime is like ubiquitous and horrible and bad shit's happening all the time which it has no source however you can just whip out your massive glock and blow like 19 holes in the guy who like assaults your wife that is right. the ultimate, like, underlying reality. And I want us all to consider why this is important in light of the Neely case. And I think I kind of, I, I kind of want to transition to an open discussion about that with you all. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're, I think you're right. Cause, um, I, so I like, you know, again, I, I, I watched Dirty Harry today, which is kind of, you know, again, you know, it's, it's the cop version of the same kind of vigilante story of, um, you know, uh, there's, there is no place for, I mean, rights or whatever. There's just, you know, bad people and then you need to stop them. You could even, um, draw parallels to the way, uh, like, like shows like 24 approach this stuff as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like, Fuck somebody's rights, somebody's, uh, you know, right to life, you know, like, fuck their whatever. Because if, if they are a criminal as a, as an identity or a class, like it's, it's, it's an identifier because, you know, the giggler here in this little clip you showed us, right? He's not, giggler is not a, a, a person. He is, uh, uh, just, you know, um, he's a criminal, you know, he's not a guy who does crime for any given reason, sometimes, you know, for maybe, maybe societal pressures pushing him into it, but even maybe even just him being an asshole, right? Like he could still just be a bad guy, but there's yeah. still a difference in attitude about how you look at it as a person who does a crime versus like a criminal. And we just need to clean up the streets. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because it's like the giggler is a criminal as a vocation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Criminals yeah, yeah. in these movies are criminals as their careers. It's less about like, it, it, and not only is it your career, but it's also your identity. Because obviously in America, your career is your identity. But basically mm -hmm. these movies imagine criminality as not only a vocation, but as like a personal orientation. That yeah. you are a criminal and you know that you're a criminal. 
that you are consciously and self like effacingly a criminal and you you would identify as a criminal because like these these are unapologetically criminal people basically you know they're wearing like jean jackets and vests and they're going around with like they got like patches that say like like, I'm gonna fuck rich people up and, like, eat their organs and uh, rape their children. Right. Like, you know, they're just, like, wearing shirts that are, like, eat piss, piss on people, I I kill babies for fun, you know? Just all sorts of funny little slogans, and they got, like, face paint on. They look like they're about to just, like, gorge themselves on human flesh. Um, okay. I would like to just also state that this very much, uh, I mean, this clip you showed us very much uh, shows the viewer that bad and violent behavior will get rewarded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the cheering crowd and everything like that. You're basically telling the your audience, um, you know, if you're violent and you kill somebody, even for something like petty theft, uh, everybody will give you a hero's welcome. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a pretty uh, dark thing <laughs> to teach somebody. What's... And what's really depressing is that when it when it comes to the conservative media complex that spits out these vigilante stories, it's kind of true. Yes, I agree. Well, hey. it's, it's funny you say that because, like, look at this. It, like, remember the scene. Like, visualize it in your head. The camera is almost, like, superfluous. The camera, like, stops existing halfway through the shot because the 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 giggler is so far away you can't really like see it and obviously bronson doesn't really care about it because he doesn't he doesn't shoot the giggler in such a way where the giggler will like drop it or like hold on to it as he falls no like he he kills him in such a way where it's gonna go flying out of his hands when he hits the ground and it will break like the the object that is being stolen is less important than the valor that Bronson receives for shooting a man in cold blood. The point of the scene is not even, to be honest, the object of the crime, but that the crime itself is an object. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, because it's just more like you engaged in criminality. Yeah, you're not, you did a it doesn't matter what it is. You're a criminal. Yeah. And and it's kind of it's the mentality behind like a lot of like broken windows policing and stuff like that too because it's like, well, this guy, you you don't know like th- this guy, yeah, he's just trying to steal a Nikon camera, which is like a petty crime. However, like, oh, if he does that, then who knows what else he does. You know, he could be uh, a violent rapist, a violent, you know, whatever. You, know, you could be doing all this other awful shit. And this is the sign of that is because the small criminality, the misdemeanors, whatever, they lead to the big stuff, even though that's like, like not, not how that works. That's how it's kind of seen. So, yeah, it, and then like the movie, the movie defends ideology. that. Well, the movie defends that though, because after he gets shot for the camera, then everybody's very like the applause is also kind of implying in this community, everybody's been fucked over by this guy. Like, Oh, so we can deduce from a guy trying to steal a Nikon camera that he is a a, a rampant pest to this community. In the same way that um, Daniel Penny was able to see Jordan Neely yelling on a train and go, well, this must be one example of this guy being a pest. This little thing suggests that this guy must be a bigger problem than just this. 
Well, it's you know also I mean? funny because, like, in the context of the scene, it's a racialized community that the people oh, yeah. who come out and cheer for Bronson are people of color. They're minorities. There are people. They are the people that Bronson fucks over objectively right. over the, like over the course of these movies. They are like the people that Bronson fuck over most. But also, th- there's this kind of like conservative ethos where it's like they'll cheer for you. They they see they understand. You know, all it takes is one guy. You know, to stand up for what's moral, what's right, and it it, it everybody knows. It it is <clears throat> everybody just knows. And then you know you you know you get into this shit. So. I want to read a piece. So I have a few pieces that we're going to read over the course of this. Just a couple. And this is a short, a very short overview by Patrick Dahl of Screen Slate, which was written July 24th, 2017. And he writes this. He says, you know what they say? A liberal is a conservative who hasn't been mugged yet. By they, I mostly mean movies like Death Wish, 1974. Hobbesian revenge fantasies offering guilt-free bloodletting. In a sense, though, they're right. After a humiliating electoral defeat last November, post-Kennedy liberalism was denuded of its righteous pretensions and revealed for the farce that it is, a brand of market-obsessed pity-mongers for whom social justice is an economic transaction and something worth politely discussing but not fighting for. Death Wish is the caricature the ideology deserves in its twilight years. It's the room for the Sanders set. Unknowingly, Michael Winner's Death Wish gets the contemporary liberal moral calculus correct in spirit, hyperbolic in practice. Charles Bronson stars as a prosperous Manhattan architect and pacifist. He, in the movies, he it's revealed that his character was a conscientious objector during the war, which is important and comes up later. Whose <laughs> wife is murdered and daughter violated during a home invasion by Jeff Goldblum. It's also very funny to imagine jeff goldblum doing anything like evil it's yeah it's a weird casting choice and a team of lackeys after witnessing a live reenactment of a wild west shootout during a trip to arizona he commits a to bringing frontier justice down upon the petty thieves of new york and it's very important that this specifically happens in new york Mm -hmm. bronson's vengeance cleanses him of centrist illusions as he is reborn no longer pitying the poor he sets about sacrificing them in order to quench his rage and restore the city to its upstanding citizens the poor are entitled to sympathy only so long as they tuck themselves out of sight the film's central idea is this haven't all of us respectables folks nourished the desire to take to the subway with an antique revolver and shoot to death anyone who frightens us no well, the film is hilariously repugnant, with shocks of bright candy red blood and nuggets like, I kill rich cunts. Bronson's awkward performance details something close to real anguish as he cries on his knees or twirls a sock full of quarters around his apartment. But Winner isn't curious about the character. Instead, he lets the film's premise do the talking. We are to identify with Bronson's mass murder spree, not examine his moral architecture. His first point of view is right out of a first-person shooter while he takes a gun in his hand for the first time in decades. Turns out his aim is perfect. He's meant to be our man. Well, you know, I think... It's also like relevant to, to to add kind of some historical context to this film as well because this came out in the what in the seventies, right? Yeah, Am I making that up. Yes. Okay. Nineteen seventy four. Seventies. Yeah, because I I know I know that's also when Dirty Harry came out, and like 
it, you know, them being placed in New York, that's really important because that that was, you know, a period of time where the crime rate was really high in New York. And there was this general sense of like, uh, I don't know, this this wasn't, attitude. God, wasn't that decade in New York? Isn't that when the son of Sam was running around? Uh, I think that might be correct. Um, and I'm, he was I'm not shooting sure. people. Oh, yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. I think you're right, Finch. Yeah, and so obviously, the son of Sam, cr- crime would crime would go on to like hit like its highs in like the 80s and 90s, and then kind of start dropping from there. But like, um, like what what that this time there was this fear of this like criminality, and like we need we need a strong man to come in and clean up the streets. This is um you know Taxi Driver is a movie that comes out of this time. Now Taxi Driver is critical of that mentality. Um, but it's it's the same thing. This is floating in the air at this time. The kind oh, of vigilante yeah. thing that, that Phil's talking about here, it really is kind of a product of, like, the 70s panic around post-civil rights, um, you know, this kind of, like, reaction to the 60s um, right. radical movement. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? So far, over two million bucks has been raised for Daniel Penny's defense. Not you see Not you look at that. Millions to save a penny. Sounds like a typical Democrat social program. A couple of things I want you to remember. But it is good news. Multiple witnesses have come forward and said Mr. Neely was not threatening nor putting anyone in danger. As a matter of fact, it was the killer who was agitated and became the aggressor. So I, w- I actually wanted to bring up like a side note here. Because I want to talk about the formation of a very specific group, which is basically just a response to this movie and the wide-reaching like implications of it. So I was listening to an episode. Does anybody know Pod Save America? Or no, 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 Pod Damn America. That's it. Pod Damn America. <laughs> the opposite of Pod Save America. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Jake Flores. Yeah, I used to listen to that back in the day. So I, I, I kind of just turned on an episode of it, and they were talking about the Guardian Angels. Now, I I think it's very interesting to examine the Guardian Angels because the Guardian Angels are a response to this movie and they are an objectively like conservative crypto fascist organization. They Mm -hmm. are basically uh, like free. They are cops who do it for free. They're basically volunteer police that protect specifically mm. private property. They were formed in 1979. Hey, and if you, there's my historical yeah. context. Yep. <laughs> if, if you, They basically are formed five years after this movie comes out and yep. specifically in response to New York City crime rates. Yep. And if you know anything yep. about the head of the Guardian Angels, I wish Jackal was here, but he's basically a meme because every, every fucking election in New York City, he runs on the conservative ticket. He just lost again. But he runs on the conservative ticket and he's like, I'm going to be tough on crime and I'm we're finally going to whip this city. We're going to get it out of its hole, even though the crime rate in like New York City has kept going down for years. But 
regardless he he always keeps playing that shtick because it's the only thing he's got and the guardian angels are at the end of the day all like bronsons that don't use guns they are they are all this guy every single one of them is charles fucking bronson who instead of like an oversized magnum wants to take their like two fists and just like go out into the streets and and punch people (laughs) Wait, so they don't, they're not armed? I they don't care, nope, they, well, they don't <laughs> carry weapons. The, the Guardians so, Angels have never so carried weapons. This, it's the scene that well, we just watched, that's... but, but, but they, but they, like, run up and scream citizens arrest at him. Yes, basically. <laughs> like, but, I mean, in a way that's scarier, right? Because if they have, yeah, like, sure, clubs yeah. or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. If Sorry, they have their I, hands I just try to call them nerds. That's all I'm, they I'm are just nerds. wanting to call them nerds. I'm sorry, I just, I'm just trying to make a jab. But, scary dude yeah elliot roger was a nerd and he killed like eight people yeah the, the so the the guardian angels are pretty dangerous and they also get themselves into dangerous situations a lot because mm-hmm. they have like fucking like batman logic you know where if you like roam the streets you know just trying to punch people out like you know the criminals that get too rowdy you just like put up your dukes you're gonna get your shit kicked in obviously like i'm sorry you know, nobody nobody goes to a street fight without a weapon of some kind, it, whether it be intentionally or, like, improvised. So, like, the Guardian Angels are kind of known for losing, and losing a lot. Like, they, they mostly lose most fights they're in, because of course they do. They, they are basically a gang. The Guardian Angels are a gang. They're just, like, the mm-hmm. only gang that the NYPD was like, yeah, these guys mm-hmm. are doing great work. Mm-hmm. And their great work is obviously getting the shit kicked out of them while they, like, protect a footlocker, which I'm not even, <laughs> I didn't make that up. They, they, that happened during the Black Lives Matter I, protests. I immediately assumed that these were the kind of guys that were out, like, screaming at protesters, like, stay away from this Denny's. Don't yes, you dare! They are the prototypical, <laughs> and what's interesting is they, they almost kind of serve as like some sort of platonic ideal for the the all the other like weird crypto fascist militant organizations cuz like mm-hmm. th- they're this like idealized fucking batman go out and beat up the criminals and i'm pretty sure like deep in the psyche of most militants on the right they're like well you know i i would love to just like use my hands batman style who needs guns but I also like my guns, so I would like to shoot somebody who tries to rob the Denny's instead, because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Right. There is, there is a not insignificant amount of, like, sort of intellectual brain rot that relates to the Guardian Angels and the entire, like, idea of the vigilante right. All right, we gotta wrap up. All right, so we're gonna pull up the, the third, the second Death Wish clip. Okay. Are we all there? I am. Mm-hmm. I have just loaded it up now. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. All right. Just mm-hmm. hit play in one, two, three. <laughs> Excuse me, please. What's the problem? What? With the car. What's the problem? 
Just get out of my fucking face. Who are you? We're still in the fucking car. What's it to you? It's my car. How you gonna die? Jesus. So okay. I, I included that one for a very specific reason because I feel like that one's worse than the oh, first one. Real quick, so the fast version of the clip was that, um, yeah, Bronson's character uh, walks out and sees two guys like ripping apart his car, trying to steal his car, um, and he says some badass shit and shoots them in typical Death Wish three fashion. Yeah. And, Go ahead. and what's important about this clip is, like I said, the, the car is like superfluous. Like the the car, the, basically Bronson doesn't care about the fucking car. Cause like they no, rip out yeah. his radio. They're messing with the engine. They're about to like, they are going to destroy it and they probably have done significant damage to it, but he shoots them and just leaves for the house. He doesn't try to fix the car cause the car is inconsequential. The car is secondary to the fact that these men have engaged in criminal behavior and Bronson must punish them. Right. Right. He is, he is like a, basically he is an angel of death in these movies, metering out death to those who have incurred like the will of the gods, basically, you know, he's Mm -hmm. basically just, he is the hand of Zeus come to smite all those who do not obey the like the the moral authority of the god like he is a vessel of just like raw vigilantism and i i want to read like some bits from roger ebert's review of the movie since because like this came out contemporaneously this Mm -hmm. came out january 1st 1974 like the review came out in that date Death Wish is a quasi-fascist advertisement for urban vigilantes, done up in a slick and exciting action movie. We like it even while we're turned off by the message. It gives us Charles Bronson in a role that starts out by being somewhat of out of character. He plays a liberal, an architect, a former conscientious objector, but he turns into the familiar Bronson man of action after his wife is murdered and his daughter reduced to catatonia by muggers. His immediate reaction is one of simple grief. Then something happens which suggests a different kind of response. His office sends him to Arizona on a job, and he meets a land developer who's a gun nut. The man takes Bronson to his gun club, watches him squeeze off a few perfect practice rounds, and slips a present into his suitcase when he heads back to New York. It's a 32 caliber revolver. Alone in his apartment, Bronson examines snapshots from his recent Hawaiian vacation with his wife. Then he examines the gun. He goes out into the night, is attacked by a mugger, and shoots him dead. Then he goes home and throws up. Okay, but like, this is, um... This kind of also... Man, this is toxic masculinity, the movie, because this shows, like, the most destructive way to deal with grief. Like, right? Like, in, like, you know, in Christianity, like, you know, Paul writes, no, mourn, mourn, right? This is, like, this is like shoot those <laughs> or uh shoot those who make you mourn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um I mean like this is translating your grief into violence and idolizing that violence. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also like it's also a narrative of like liberals, you know, li- liberal gone liberal gone conservative, you know, like like the the line from the uh the the screen slate 
article Phil read earlier of like the 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 classic like oh a liberal is a you know a conservative who hasn't been mugged yet or whatever right right um, there's this kind of like notion that it's this permissive weak liberal society that has created this situation and so like in some sense like death wish is about because he's a liberal because he's a former conscientious objector etc cetera, etc cetera, right he's like kind of playing penance for creating this permissive society that allows criminality. Absolutely. That's oh, kind yeah. of what the movie's about in a way, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah, it's he is he is the hero created by his own sort of failures, you know? He yeah. is the the hero born out of weakness, a phoenix reborn to avenge the, <laughs> right. all of all of the the innocent blood spilt on the streets of New York City. Right. But it's kind of a weird narrative, right? Because like the guy who you know, like, because because fucking uh, Dan- you know, Daniel Penny, he was a f- he's an ex marine. He never was this like liberal wuss guy gone gone hard. You know, like that's not. Well, what it's happens. having it's having their cake and eating it too, right? Exactly. Because, like, yeah. Oh, we don't want this badass dude who is our self insert to be uh, too liberal and too soft. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not well, going to tell you yeah, the rest yeah. of this review, but I do want to point out one thing about the movie. So, the mm-hmm. result is that Bronson becomes a folk hero as the New York vigilante and the mugging rate drops 50%. That is the ultimate outcome of this movie. <laughs> single guy. <laughs> yes, oh, literally. Literally a single guy drops the the mugging. Okay, rate. but they understand that that's like no, Obviously, I'm it's. It. I'm like, well, that just shows the uselessness of the NYPD. Inadvertently. <laughs> well, no, actually. Point. So the movie yeah. ends with the NYPD like sanctioning him. They basically tell him, as long mm. as you get out of town, as long as you like leave New York for some unspecified period of time, leading to Death Wish Two, uh, we'll basically we'll just let you get off with all the murder. Oh, right. cool! Like they do now in real life. It, like they yeah. do now in real life. <laughs> so, so that's what well, I. So, if you've been on the Mammonberg Discord recently, I've started well, using the term Bronson syndrome. Right to to kind now, of describe this. Yeah, yeah, to describe this because this is this is what it is. the The archetype has existed. Like my short working definition of Bronson syndrome is that Bronson syndrome is the violent rhetoric and attitudes specifically disproportionate in nature that American conservatives hold for criminals, typically petty criminals or ones who infringe on personal property rights and how they perform perform these attitudes with associated symbols, which are like guns, media, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one, one other thing is, uh, uh, Finch, you made that comment where you were like um, that, that this is a failure failure of the NYPD. Um, I think how it makes sense in the conservative imagination actually comes out in Dirty Harry, um, because what, what happens in Dirty Harry is like, you know, because because, um, you know, Clint Eastwood's character is a cop in it and it's, it's the San Francisco police, but it's, you know, same deal. Right. Where, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's rogue cop he's doing all the stuff you're not supposed to do as a cop because he takes this shit seriously and he wants to save people and whatever but then he ends up like in a situation where he can't like uh, some evidence that he's received won't be admissible in court because he violated somebody's rights and so and the movie kind of plays it as like look at this weak legal system because Clint Eastwood's character gets his badass line of like I don't care about this you know scumbags rights 
Right. But like, but like you should. <laughs> right. That's the whole but, thing. So, so the thing Jesus is like, I think says... it's as Jesus. Right. But like, I think that's how they justify it is they're like, well, we need the vigilantes because the NYPD, you know, the, 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 their hands are a bit tied by, uh, you know, the weak people who create laws and rights and, you know, like, like fucking even back, you know, back in the day, like, uh, William F. Buckley was getting mad about Miranda rights. You know, that was like a real common thing. Conservatives hated the Miranda decision. Um, so this is, you know, so so vigilante is kind of necessary in the conservative imagination because you need the guy that works outside of the law that can still enforce things violently and disproportionately. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. I, like vigilanteism in the conservative right is it's it's almost like an institution all of its own. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I wanted to, like, kind of circle back to, like, the founding of America because our initial, like, our original forms of, you know, crime prevention and our, even our military were just, like, disorganized, well, semi-organized volunteer militias. Right. And this this is something that I think, like, I, I, I'm starting to believe, and this might be a wacky belief, but, like, America is unique in that we are a nation formed on a very specific kind of violence, and thus we are a very specific kind of violent nation. Our nation is spe- specifically violent in an individualist way that basically was forged by the melting pot of ideals that led to the country's founding, merging mm. with the gun culture we have today. This yeah, is yeah. just um, kind of like the natural progression of our society. Bronson is a heroic archetype. Everywhere else, he wouldn't be. But here, he is a heroic archetype. He Mm -hmm. is our Avenger. Like, you know, Charles Bronson is New York's avenging angel of death. And Mm -hmm. that's something we as a society kind of have to, like, you know, fucking own up to because we have, like, a million Bronsons every fucking year. Yeah. All right, we got to wrap up, guys. Right. Okay, yeah, we can. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, like we, we, we have a million Bronsons in America. And the thing is, they don't, it doesn't play out like it does in the movie. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole block doesn't break into applause when you shoot the bad guy. You know, it's like the, the world just isn't organized that way. But we have a lot of people who do believe it. I mean, this was a violent fantasy that... I remember being raised with, you know, not not raised even like by my parents, but just like it was just in my head as an evangelical conservative. It's like you always fantasize about the time that you're always fantasizing about the time that you get to be the strong man and kill somebody who is maybe trying to hurt your wife or something. It's like part of the the fantasy that's a big part of like American masculinity. And we're really starting to see that come to the front you know we're 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 witnessing the results of that and you know the amount of people who are willing to defend just mercilessly killing somebody for being annoying on a subway like that that's yeah that's what this looks like this doesn't look like actually owning the bad guy or anything like it looks like you know ruthlessly murdering somebody for annoying you exactly so neat like jordan neely wasn't doing like I, I, I remember one of the first things I said to someone is that, like, if I was there in the moment, like, th- there is a certain kind of class awareness 
that if you if you were there and you heard Jordan Neely say something like, you know, I'm I'm so sick of not having money to eat and I, I don't have anywhere to live, just kind of like ranting about all the things that are extremely fucked up, not only in like American society today, but specifically New York and how it's basically just impossible to afford living there at the moment. It's relatable. It it doesn't spark me as the ravings of a madman. It sparks me as the like ravings of somebody who is tired. Really, really abjectly tired. Yeah. Okay, guys. Um so in general, I think I like the addition of Bronson syndrome into the lexicon of mm-hmm. Mammonberg here. I think this is a good reframing trend because unfortunately vigilantism is not uh, gonna go away and i don't think this is the last time we're gonna see stories like this um yeah so thank oh, yeah. you for thank you for bringing that to us phil and uh and uh, i think we got to wrap up here because uh you know we we recorded a little later in the evening than we were we we're planning on or we usually do so we're we're all a little tired so a little short episode but we're back we're back guys we're back um yeah do you want to do you want to sign out oh real quick? we are so back we are so back um yeah okay uh so i'm josiah you can follow me at josiah w sutton on twitter.com and i was joined by my two esteemed co-hosts i was joined by finch yes here here i am i am finch uh you can follow me on twitter at finch all right and phil and and you can and you can shoot me with an overly comically sized magnum revolver at cryptid director <laughs> on twitter.com and just completely blow my back out but not in a sexual way why do you say Thank these you. things okay Thank you, Phil. Uh, have a good night everybody uh, see you around <laughs>